0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. It is Saturday, November the 19th, 2022. It is currently 1151 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in West Texas, Abilene, Texas, to be exact, to be specific. But yes, the heart of West Texas. Is Abilene the heart of West Texas? Probably not. Is is Abilene the center of West Texas? Probably not. Is Abilene significant? Definitely not. But welcome. That's where at least I'm coming to you live from. And thank you so much for tuning in. I feel like this is one of those days where I have sat here in the studio and I've spent more time sitting here going, okay, what what do we talk about now? What do we talk about now? And I, I, there's so many different things I would like to talk about, but it was just trying to find the right thing to talk about. And then I did the Today's Focus broadcast just a little while ago. And while we, we ended up in Colossians 3, so now I'm kind of really preoccupied with that. Another weird thing that kept happening today is everywhere I turned, whether I picked up a devotional book or whether I was listening to podcast, Proverbs chapter 4 kept coming up. So I almost felt like, well, I keep getting hit with Proverbs chapter four. We, we, need to, we need to pursue that. We need to chase that. We, we need to pursue that and chase that. And um, and maybe we will, but I think I am going to do this. I think I am going to do this. Look at Proverbs chapter four. Let's do this. Let's go to Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four. Because I keep I keep keep getting over and over and over, this keeps coming up today. I, I I think I, multiple devotionals, I, it, like the, the reading either for today or yesterday was Proverbs four. And then I listened, there was a lot of uh, different churches that preached on Proverbs four that showed up in my podcast feed. And I'm like, what is going on? Proverbs chapter four, let's start in verse five, Proverbs chapter four, verse five, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not neither decline from the words of my mouth. So this is like employing you to get wisdom and understanding. We need wisdom. We need understanding. I could ask, what is the difference between wisdom and understanding? What is the difference between wisdom and understanding? Uh, Verse six, forsake her not and she shall preserve thee, love her and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing Therefore get wisdom and with all thy getting get understanding wisdom is the principal thing we need wisdom we 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 have to have wisdom because and think about this you are either you're 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 going to have some kind of wisdom right everyone obtains some kind of wisdom right you could call it practical wisdom right you could call this some may just say that's good old common sense but practical wisdom some may say uh, we could say there's practical wisdom, there's fleshly wisdom, worldly wisdom. And then there is biblical, Godly, spiritual wisdom. Practical, fleshly, worldly, whatever words you would like to, to, to uh, class use to classify it, or spiritual, or biblical. As a Christian, we want the biblical. We want the biblical kind of wisdom. That's what we want. That's that's what we are challenged to get. It is the principal thing. Get that kind of wisdom, not the practical, not the worldly and fleshly, but the biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, spiritual wisdom. It must be our priority. We must get it. We must obtain it, and we cannot let it go. Once we grab onto it, we're like, that's it. I'm I'm hand Cuffing you to me, and we are forever linked. You're not going away. I need it. Now, if wisdom is the principal thing and we are called to get it and to hold on to it, not let it go, do you believe in 2022 the church at large possesses biblical wisdom? When the church looks at the culture, looks at the church, Looks all around of all the problems. We've got theological problems, biblical illiteracy, churches falling apart, all kinds of things happening within Christianity. And then we've got all the things going on within culture. Do you think when the church sees everything going on and it puts forth its solution, it puts forth its way to fix it, do you think it is offering biblical solutions that's formed from biblical wisdom, or do you think they're offering practical wisdom or fleshly wisdom? I think this is very important. Make a list of all the problems you think are facing Christianity or facing the world, right? You just write them out. Here, what what are the key problems you think are facing the church? What are the key problems you think the average Christian is facing? And what do you think the problems our country, our nation, our world is facing today? Just make three categories, church, personal, and the world. What what are the what are the key problems the church is facing? What are the key issues, key problems, key struggles the average Christian is facing? And what are the key problems you think the world is facing? Now you look at those problems. Do you think the church is offering biblical wisdom to fix them, or they're sliding over to practical or worldly wisdom? I will argue that at least in part, especially when it comes to the problems of the culture and the world, the church has all. But I mean, I mean, I, I, I know this is gonna. This is a little bit of hyperbole, and please note this is kind of a, an illustration. But here's what I think has happened: that the church, the Christians, have looked at the world. They looked out their window. Like I, I'm just, I'm turning around in my chair. I'm looking at my window behind me. They looked out the window, and I always do this at the church when I when I say this in a, in a sermon. I always walk over to the window uh, there uh, next to the pulpit. And I always, and I always say, we look out that window. We, we pull the curtain back. We look out there and we see how bad the world is. Now we may not, it's not walking up to a literal window, but we watch the news. We, we see what's going on in culture, what's going on in our children's school, what's going on in our local government, state government, federal government. We look at the world and Christians are like, that is horrible. That is, we've got to fix it. We've got to come up with a solution and I know this is a little bit of exaggeration, but this is what I feel what happens. The pastor immediately sends out a text message to all the church members. It sends out a text message to all the church members. Please, please report to the church as soon as possible. This is a red alert. Please report. Bring your Bible. Bring your systematic theologies. Bring everything spiritual. Your spiritual, no, everything spiritual. Bring it to the church because the world is on fire. Everything is falling apart. We've got to fix it. And then everyone drives up into the parking lot and fast as they get out of the car. They've got their books. They've got their theologies, their Bibles. they got, and, and the pastor's like, okay, we're going to go out behind the church. And you go out there and he's like, throw your Bible, throw your theology, throw your doctrine, throw it into the, we're going to burn it all. Now you're like, that's ridiculous. No church would do that. This, this is an illustration. And in a sense, we burn all of that theological wisdom, all of that biblical wisdom, all of that church history we burn it. And then the pastor is like, here is how we're going to fix the problems. And then he offers up what I believe in many cases is completely contrary to biblical, theological wisdom. He offers something practical. He offers something worldly and fleshly. Now, I know people are going to disagree with that illustration, but I believe that that's what happened. I don't know who sent out the the warning. I don't know who sent out the text. I don't know who sent out the red alert. And I don't know who lit the bonfire. And I don't know who started throwing the books in. But I believe the church has completely lost its mind and abandoned everything biblical for all kinds of other solutions. So, the church at least in the United States of America, probably someone needs to write a letter to the American church, right? Someone probably needs to sit down and write a letter to the American church to tell them, hey, this is what we're facing, and this is what we are to do. Because clearly, clearly, there's no letters in our Bible that would, I don't know, tell us what to do. I mean, do, can you think of any letters in the Bible that that that's addressed to the church? Well, oh, well, they're addressed to the church of Philippi or Galatia or Rome or, or Colossae. I mean, no, no, we need a letter written to the American church. That's what we need. And it needs to outline the problem and it needs to give us the solution. And ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you right now, you can get that letter written to the American church for the low, low price of $19.99 for the hardcover edition and $14.99 for the Kindle edition. Get it now. Get it hot off the press. A letter to the American church. What am I referring to? Not not my book. Okay. <laughs> not a book that I have written. I, I'm not asking for your money, but this is a new book. Well, I, I guess it's not that new. It's not that new. It, it came out in 2022. Letter to the American Church. Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. I believe that's how you say his name right. A Letter to the American Church, Eric Metaxas. Now, I have seen some things about this book, and I've pretty much ignored it, not given much thought to it, not really paid much attention. But then I started seeing it show up here, show up here. And then I saw a review posted about it then I'm thought, you know what? There's all these other things we need to talk about, but let's talk about The Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. First of all, it's the number one best-selling book in Christian ministry and church leadership at amazon.com, all right? So That's one reason. It currently has 5 five-star rating, 528 ratings that equal out to five-star rating. That's that means people love the book. Only 528 ratings, so you you could say that's not super influential. I would agree. 528. I don't know how many uh, ratings a book typically gets, but you would think there would be far more. But it's got five stars. And uh, well, let's let's uh, let's learn a little bit about it. What, what do you think? What do you think? You want to learn a little bit about the letter to the American Church? Because here, here now you see how I have framed this. Now you now you see is this book going to give us biblical wisdom? godly spiritual wisdom, or is it going to rely on practical, or what I believe is fleshly and worldly? Well, let's see. First, just a description of the book. And an earnest and searing wake-up call, the author of the bestseller Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, uh, a Spy, warns of the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, so we know where this is going. We're going to write a letter to the American church and we're going to talk about Nazis. We're going to talk about Hitler. We're going to talk about Germany. Now, I'm not saying that there is no value in looking at that time period, because obviously there is. I do believe it's almost become almost like a trope. It's almost become, it's almost become ludicrous and ridiculous because in our culture today, this is how you start having an argument, 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 back and forth, disagreement. You disagree, disagree, disagree. And the next thing you're like, you're like the Nazis. You're like, you're like the church in Germany. And immediately we just start throwing out that you're somehow you're connected to Nazi Germany in the 1930s. And you're kind of like, whoa, how did we get there? Now, Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. You you can ask yourself, when you look at the American church today, is it like the German church in the 1930s? Now, I would think a lot of people would say, absolutely, but it would probably be based on not a thorough study of the American or the German church in 1930. I doubt you've spent much time reading the sermons of the churches that were... I doubt you've done much actual study of it, but just anecdotal you may go just because of some anecdotal evidence you may go well yeah we're we're just the same but let's say it's true let's say we're just like the German church in the 1930s let's say that's true what's the solution again using godly biblical wisdom practical wisdom or fleshly wisdom what would be the wise solution to that problem well let, let's go back and read this again here we go I think I know where this is headed, but I, I could be—I could be wrong. But let's—let's here—we here we go. In an earnest and searing wake-up call. The author of the best-selling bestseller Bonhoeffer, pastor, martyr, prophet, spy, warns of the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. Echoing Bonhoeffer's prophetic call, Eric Metaxas exhorts his fellow Christians to repent of their silence and face. And the face of the evil before it's too late. All right, so the problem is, it appears that the German church was silent of the evils that we're developing here and that we cannot be silent. We have to face the evils now before it's too... Uh, cue the ominous music. Dun, dun 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 Too late. Now, is that true? And if it, if it is true that we've got to face the evil, and we've got to speak up. What should we be speaking? What should we be doing? What is the solution here? Well, they go on to say, here, and I'm reading the description of the book from Amazon, silence is the face of evil. It, uh, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. All right. So we can't be silent. We have to act. God will not hold us guiltless. He will not hold us guiltless. Now, let me just, I'm going to just stop right here. I get sick and tired of Christian books telling me God is not going to hold me guiltless. In Christ Jesus, I am completely forgiven. My sins have been removed as far as the East is from the West. I am perfectly righteous and perfectly holy in Christ. I am guiltless in Christ. All right, so I, I don't I don't like when people say that. That's the whole point of justification. I'm justified by faith alone, not according to works. I am guiltless in Christ, no matter what I do, because my sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. And I'm going to get I know I'm going to get Christians going, but 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 if you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this, you're not guiltless because you're probably not saved. Well, now you're trying to judge my my salvation, which is supposed to be based on an imputed righteousness, based on what I do and don't do, which means that my salvation then is actually based by works and. Okay, you destroy the gospel. All right, you, you, we've talked about that so many times. Listen to our series on law and gospel, all right? So I understand he may feel like the church would have much, quote-unquote, blood on its hands and be guilty, but in Christ Jesus, we are guiltless because we are forgiven completely, all right? But let's see what they go on to say. Can it really be God's will that his children be silent at a time like this, decrying the cowardice that masquerades as godly meekness, Eric Metaxas summons the church to battle. All right, let's 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 say this is true, all right? That God is tired of our meekness, our our weakness, our, our silence, whatever word he wants to use, um, that it's that we're masquerading, our our cowardice is masquerading as godly meekness. Let's say all of that is true. And that we have to be called to the battle. All right, let's say we're called to the battle. All right, here's the battle. Now, according to biblical wisdom, not practical and not fleshly wisdom, what battle are we to engage in? And how are we to engage in said battle? What does that battle look like? If Christians are to fight a battle, how is this to be fought? That's what inquiring minds need to know. I think so many times Christians, again, fight the battle by first burning the Bible, church history, and theology, and then we grab onto something else to fight the battle, which typically turns into, let me guess, worldly wisdom, politics, and everything other than actually fighting the battle spiritually, not with carnal weapons, not with fleshly weapons, but with spiritual weapons. But let's see what he's going to say here. Um, The author of the best-selling biography of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Metaxas reveals the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s, echoing, The German martyr's prophetic call, he exhorts his fellow Christians to repent of their silence in the face of evil. I know this sounds redundant and repetitive, but this is literally the way it's typed up here for the Amazon description. And uh, he says, uh, okay, so, okay, now he's going to go after what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. All right. Uh, So so he's like, there's an unbiblical faith based on what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace has sapped the spiritual vitality of millions of Americans paying lip service uh, to evangelism. They shrink from combating the evils of our times. Metaxas refutes the pernicious lie that fighting evil politicizes Christianity. All right, now stop right here. All right. So you can see he wants us to fight evil. Now the book, we, the description is not telling us exactly how we want to fight evil. And I'm skipping some of the words here and I'm just trying to get the, the main element here. So just if you read it and you're like, well, you skip this and skip that. I'm just trying to sum- give you the basic summary here because I don't want the reading of the description of the book to take five hours, right? But He wants us to fight. He wants us to speak and he wants us to fight. And clearly he's aware that some are going to say you're politicizing the church. And you know my views on the the politicizing of the church because I believe the church has been so politically hijacked that what we have done is literally went out back, burned our Bible, threw it all down, and we picked up a copy of the American Constitution, the American flag, a Make America Great hat again, and then we've decided that's how we're going to fight. And you say, no, we didn't throw away our Bibles. Oh, give me a break, okay? You, you've completely abandoned anything that would look like Bible or Christianity. But he, he he's clearly aware that some people will refer to this as politicizing Christianity. He, he's going to refute that idea. As Bonhoeffer and other heroes of the faith insisted, the church has an ear an irreplaceable yeah, an irreplaceable role in the culture of a nation. It's our duty to fight the powers of darkness, especially on behalf of the weak and vulnerable. Silence is not an option. God calls us to defend the unborn, to confront the lies of cultural Marxism, and to, to battle the globalist tyranny that crushes human freedom. Confident that that this is his fight, the church must overcome fear and enter the fray, armed with the spiritual weapons of prayer sacrifice and love, self-sacrifice and love. All right, well, he ends it making it sound very biblical, right? Hey, we've got to enter this with spiritual weapons, prayer, self-sacrifice, and love. That sounds really, 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 really good. That sounds really, really, really good. But when you start talking about we got to fight cultural Marxism and the globalist tyranny that crushes human freedom— that starts sounding like something other than, to me, Christianity, and it starts sounding like I'm listening to a little bit of Alex Jones and or some conservative media. That's what it sounds like. I'm not saying that's where he goes. I'm saying that's that would be my caution, because it's, the mer- it's like covering up the politicizing of the church with spiritual language. Hey, we're not politicizing anything. We're not fighting this politically, because we're going to quote a little Jesus here, and we're going to quote a little scripture, but it can be very, very deceptive. So let's do this. Let's look at a letter, or not a letter, let's look at an article about the, about the book called Letter to the American Church. Here is how this review begins. Eric Metaxas has written a provocative book for a large audience. A letter to the American Church, he assumes a prophetic role. The American church, he warns, is committing the same mistakes in the 2020s as the German church did in the 30s. If we continue course, similar catastrophic consequences await. By choosing silence, German pastors facilitated the rise of Nazism and the innocent blood of, million, of millions is on their hands. I, I'd stop right here. I just Sometimes I do have to ask this question. I do have to ask this question sometimes. Because I think this is a theologically valid question. Where is God in any of this? I, I'm just curious. So, so basically, it seems to be inferring, and I'm not saying that the book is definitive on this, but I've heard other Christians, I won't just talk about the book here, I'll just go beyond it, that if the church would have done this or this or this or this, then the whole Holocaust would never have happened, that the church could have stopped it. So God was like, Hey guys, I really want to stop this, but you got to, you got to do these four things. If you'll do these four things, I can stop it. But if you don't do these four things, I can't. I, where's God's sovereignty in any of it? Sometimes we act like God is sovereign and sometimes we act like God took a vacation and he left us with a list of instructions. And if we'll do it, good things will happen. And if they don't, everything's going to fall apart and he'll get back with us when he comes back. So I I just, I think it's a reasonable question to ask, but you know, I'll probably get in trouble for asking it, but that's okay. The current complicity of the American church, especially its pastors, leads to a similar red-handed guilt. As a best-selling Christian author and host of a national syndicated radio program, Metaxas has cultivated a wide audience and his book will be received by his many fans. The letter to the American church book urges Christians to fight against Marxist ideology, abortion, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, and government policies that threaten religious liberty. Now, let me ask you again the question, how should the church and how should a Christian fight Marxist ideology? How should the church fight abortion? How should the church fight same-sex marriage? How should the church fight transgenderism? How should the church fight critical race theory? How should the church fight Black Lives Matter? And how should the church fight and fight government policies that supposedly threaten religious liberty? Like, how do you fight that? What, what's your options as a, as, a, as, as a church? Biblical wisdom, practical wisdom, or fleshly wisdom? I will say what the church has done, and I'm going to say it again. I'm going I'm to continue to say this. We went and burned our Bible. We burned everything related to theology, and we went over and said we're going to pick up politics. We're going to pick up the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, an American flag, and we're going to go straight political on this stuff. And we're going to call for political activism, and that's how we're going to fight it. And I will tell you that these issues are results of depravity. These these issues relate from the sinful nature. The only way the church was never called to fight the cultural battles politically. It was called to fight the the cultural battles philologically by offering the gospel. All we can do is preach the gospel and say, come to Christ, you are a sinner, turn to him, and you will be saved. And now that you are saved, here is what the Bible calls us to do. If you look at the Great Commission, it's go and teach right? That's obviously evangelism because the next thing is to baptize, right? That means you evangelize, you bring them into the church. Then the next is to teach them to obey. You don't teach them to obey before they are saved. After they're saved, you teach them to obey, before, you're just saying, you've broken God's law, you're guilty, in Christ there is salvation. Now, you, once they turn to Christ, you say, okay, now you enter the church, and now we teach you what to do. That's the solution. What we want to do is go tell the world, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you have to stop this, you have to stop that, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and we're going to pass laws to make sure you don't. okay congratulations you pass all the laws they stop all the bad stuff they stop transgenderism they stop they stop homosexuality Of course the law is not going to stop any of it but okay you you everyone is living this wonderful life. It looks like a, a picture from the 1950s. There's a husband and a wife with a kid no tattoos, one dog a pig, uh, a picket white fence every flowers in the garden the, the wife is waiting for the husband to come home from work wearing a dress and everything is wonderful and great. But guess what? They die and go to hell. I think some Christians just want the culture to look a certain way because it makes us feel better and makes us more comfortable. What's the solution to all of those supposed problems? What is the solution? Here we go. Metaxas wants to motivate pastors to raise their voices and lead their members to political activism. Well, Eric Metaxas, that will never happen in my church. You can call me weak. You can call me a coward. You can call me all the names in the world. You can tell me that I'm not guiltless before a holy God. But my church will never become a place that promotes political activism. It will never be a place where political propaganda is put forth from the pulpit. It will not be a place where any of that occurs. I Look, I know, it's, I know people think it's ridiculous. I don't even allow an American flag inside the sanctuary. I won't place an American flag anywhere on our property because it's a church. It's about the cross. It's not about the flag. I'm not. A, and don't say you don't love America. You're not a patriot. Okay. You, you come talk to me. Yeah. Why, why am I a disabled vet? Why am I declared 100% disabled? You see, what happened to me in the military? Wait, what occurred to, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I served how many years? Yeah. 19 years. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me I, I wore the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me. Don't, don't tell me. I, I get so tired of that because I, I say this. From a theological perspective, the church is not the place to promote political activism or patriotism. It's a place to promote Jesus Christ his word and us to live as citizens of heaven. We're strangers here. we're pilgrims here. this is we are not of this world. And the solution to this world's problem has never been, nor will ever be political activism. The problems in this world have always been spiritual, and the only hope is the gospel. You want to change the world. So you want to change, quote-unquote, transgenderism. You want to change all of these issues. Give people the gospel, then disciple them. So already I have I have issues. Despite elements of truth... This article offers four cautions to Christians, especially pastors, who will encounter the arguments in this book, Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. Here are the warnings. Number one, esteem historical accuracy. In his best-selling biography, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy, Metaxas generated wide interest in German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Written at a popular level, the book appealed especially to evangelicals who found in Bonhoeffer a new hero whose costly discipleship compelled a courageous stand against an evil government. At the academic level, pastors should be aware the reviews were not as generous. Bonhoeffer scholars noted the book's historical inaccuracies, uh, revisionism. By overlooking key doctrinal deficiency, Metaxas presented, presented a Bonhoeffer whom evangelicals could nearly call one of their own. And letter Metaxas presents the same. And bon- letter Metaxas presents the same bonhoeffer, but with an ironic twist that readers may not notice. Here's the irony: while Metaxas wants us to find in bonhoeffer an inspiration to resist the church's enemies on the political left, bonhoeffer was actually resisting the church's enemies on the political right. Far from promoting what Metaxas calls Marxist atheist philosophy. Hitler opposed it as a Jewish conspiracy. Metaxas knows this. So I think it is funny because whenever people say political activism, whenever they say, we've got to fight against these horrible things, guess what they always want to fight? Leftist ideology. Guess what they never want to stand against? The wrong way of thinking that comes from the political right. Somehow the political right is viewed as it dropped from heaven, as it came from the pages of scripture, which has blown me away because Christians will buy into concepts that come from the political right that I I think are just as problematic, just in a different way. Look, the problem is, as the church, we don't want the left. We don't want the right. We don't want Democrat. We don't want Republican. We don't want Libertarian. We don't want any of it because we are the church. We are not a political organization. We are a spiritual one. We are the bride of Christ. We don't prostitute ourselves to a political party so that they can gain political power. We don't prostitute ourselves and, in a sense, lay ourselves down and allow them to use us. Yes, I'm being blunt, and to use us so they get what they want. And then they don't care. They never cared about the church anyway or cared about our doctrine. We're supposed to be there for Christ. But that is hilarious (laughs) that he wants Bonhoeffer to be used as an inspiration to resist the church's enemies on the political left when Bonhoeffer was actually resisting the church's enemies on the political right. Far from promoting what Metaxas calls Marxist atheist, atheist philosophy, Hitler opposed it as a Jewish conspiracy. Metaxas knows this, and Bonhoeffer, he noted that many pastors in Germany willingly overlooked Hitler's deadly flaws because they wanted a powerful German church and a Christianity that was strong and masculine and that would stand up and defeat the godless. Now, that's interesting. I hear a lot of that today, that we need a powerful Christianity, a strong, masculine Christianity that will stand up to the godless liberals here's some of the same language. If the global aim of Marxist ideology was one of the problems, then German nationalism infused with empty Christian rhetoric fueled by conspiracy theories was one of the solutions. If the global aim of Marxist ideology was one of the problems, Then German nationalism infused with empty Christian rhetoric and fueled by conspiracy theories was one of the solutions. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what we see today. We see a church that is panicked by so-called Marxist ideology, scared to death of it thinking that it's everywhere, worried about black lives matter, worried about all of these issues. And we're scared to death of it. And we're like, we've got to fight it. We've got to defend it. And what do we turn to? We turn to American nationalism, not German nationalism, American nationalism infused with empty Christian rhetoric fueled by conspiracy theories, that is the solution the American church has turned to. If you're going to write a a letter to the American church, get rid of the nationalism, get rid of your empty Christian rhetoric, get rid of your conspiracy theories, go get your Bible, go get your systematic theologies, go get the creeds, go get the confessions of the faith, and get back to the things of God. Metaxas' application is fair because we should oppose unbiblical ideology on every front. But given this historical context, it seems odd and intentional that Metaxas offers no thoughtful caution to the church or its pastors regarding the lesson from history. While fighting real threats on your front, don't forget to cover your rear. It's not just that Metaxas goes too far in his application. He doesn't go far enough. Yes, pastors, let's warn our people about dangerous tenets in uh, critical race theory or the LGBT, LGBT plus activism and the Black Lives Matter movement. But faithfulness in ministry means we should also be aware of our of, and guard against other kinds of threats that rise against the church from a variety of directions like nationalism, like po- political hijacking of the church, abandoning the Bible and theology for political activism. So the first one is just some uh, that we that one of the problems in the book is ma- mainly historical accuracy and not really being true with the history not really being accurate with the history that that Bonhoeffer was actually going from things on the right and that and then and that the solution cannot be nationalism. It can't be that. Number two, pursue principled political uh, persuasion. Their number two is, their their warnings about the book is that we should pursue principled political persuasion. Metaxas believes uh, desperate times call for desperate measures to put candidates in power who will enact policies to help people. So we got to put candidates in power. So once again, why does the church focus? We got to put people in power. We got to put people in power. Supposedly, who are there to help people? I wonder how we're going to help people. How are we going to? How are we going to help people? We're going to help people by governmental policy, by law, by rules. Christ followers may need to vote for someone whom others may criticize for being guilty of this or that. He uh, intimates that Christians may never need to tell. Christians, okay. He goes on to say, "Let me read this." So, in other words, we must be willing to vote for someone who others may be who may, who people may criticize because they're guilty of this horrible thing or this bad thing or this bad thing. But we we just overlook that. We overlook that because we got to get them into power, and so. The, the 1990s, when Christians were saying, character matters. You don't vote for someone who doesn't have a godly character. That's why Clinton needs to be removed from the White House, because he has an ungodly character. We've abandoned that. And now it's like, who cares about character? It's about the policy. But he goes on, that Christians may even need to lie for the larger good. Christians can do these things because we serve a God who has a wildness and unpredictability to him. And like Bonharfer and, uh, and in opposition to Hitler, violence may be necessary. Oh, this is frightening in all kinds of ways. Now, they give what I believe is to be page numbers from the book. Here are the page numbers. If you have a letter to the American church, here are the page numbers that we need to look up. We need to look up and I need to, Uh, I have to find these page numbers on on a Kindle version. But they they point to page, it looks like 121. Well, let's go, I'll do them in order. Page 78, page 109, page 120, page 121, and page 123. So let's go uh, these in order. Page 78, page 109 page 120, page 121, and page 123. So we need to do a little bit of verification of this to see if the book, it, it, if it is true, if, and I stress if, capital I-F, if it is true, the book says that Christians may may need to tell a lie for the larger good and we can do these things because we serve a God who has a wildness and unpredictability to him. And that like Bonhoeffer in opposition to Hitler, violence may be necessary if it's a book telling us that violence may be necessary. And we, we talked about this American Family Radio talked about the day may come about violence because of because of gay rights and the homosexual movement. It was it was a frightening audio clip. And we reviewed that. I could not believe it was on Christian radio. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what happens. So that we can lie. And that we can uh, possibly act out, do acts of violence. Now, you're telling me, is this biblical wisdom? Or is this straight, worldly, fleshly, politically hijacked Christian nationalism? Metaxas has now uh, ranged into the sophisticated discipline of moral theology and may be in over his head. Christian ethicists have long debated the biblical position on when, where, and how to deceive and employ violence. But this brief and selective tour of the subject provided unwarranted justification for Christians with a shallow understanding of biblical ethics to do sinful things. Metaxas unfortunately practices what he preaches, and his words are reckless and dangerous and are politicized and polarized cultural moment. Are we willing to sacrifice the church's mandate to be a pillar of truth by trafficking in lies for political gain? The American church has been doing that for a long time. While Metaxas often acknowledges the influence of the great Charles Colson, he seems to reject the counsel of Colson, who wrote, "If we have learned anything in recent decades, is that we should not roll our heavy-handed political movements that are recklessly toss around god and country cliches and scare off our secular neighbors." Our goal is not to grab power and impose our views. Instead, we should act through principled persuasion and responsible participation. I'm going to say it differently. We should not even worry about political persuasion or political participation. I don't th- I think the whole game is garbage, the whole game is corrupt, and I think we need we need to get back to the things of God because we're doing a, such a poor job at that, we don't have time to worry about all the other stuff. But that is frightening. If that is true, if, 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 I'm going to say if, 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 if 5,000 times, if this book is saying, hey, you can lie sometimes and we may even have to do acts of violence. And that's written in a Christian book. I'm telling you, they have abandoned biblical wisdom. Get wisdom. It's the principal thing. Stop with this worldly garbage and this fleshly way of thinking. Next, look to Jesus, not Bonhoeffer, as your standard. This is the warning. Metaxas' understandable admiration for Bonhoeffer is palpable. But there's a fine line between biography um, and and basically going way beyond that. We measure pastoral ministry by the standard of the chief shepherd and the apostles, not any evangelical version of a dead Lutheran pastor. Metaxas doesn't hesitate to call out pastors. He judges to be weak, timid, timid, cowardly, or so theologically f- fussy, as he says. And they and uh, that that they didn't don't join his movement. Men like Tim Keller, Alistair Begg, John Piper, John MacArthur are not bon offerish enough for Metaxas. Though Tim Keller wrote a generous introduction to offer in 2011, things changed by 2022. In a recent tweet, Metaxas expressed approval for uh, for this rhetorical question. What if Rick Warren, Andy Stanley, and Tim Keller are Hitler's favorite kind of pastors? This is exactly the kind of slander and careless speech that fuels the fracturing of American evangelicalism. Historically, we evangelicals are were known for our theological agreement on the authority of the Bible the centrality of the cross, the necessity of conversion, and the priority of working together for the global advance of cultural shape, shaping gospel. When we disagreed, we were to follow biblical protocol to resolve our conflicts and to maintain our witness before an unbelieving world. Now we're wildly known as a powerful voting bloc to be courted, often imitating our political heroes and attacking one another on Twitter. That's exactly what Christianity has, become, has come to. We're, we're, we're a political party. Christianity is just a political movement. It's just a political look, look, it's 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 a group of people who call themselves Christians but they're now just a voting block that politicians want to use so that they can get power and the church is willing to lay down for that. It says by uh by so basically the 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 there's logical fallacies in the book. They go on again to a discussion about Uh, logical fallacies. I'm not going to go through the whole logical fallacy and try to explain the logical fallacy and all of that. But by comparing American pastors who didn't sign the Manhattan Declaration to German pastors who didn't sign the Barman Declaration, Metaxas has played the Nazi card. Those German pastors enabled Hitler. Therefore, those American pastors would have enabled Hitler. All right. So I don't even know what the Manhattan Declaration is. I think we've talked about it, but I know I did not sign it, okay? So I guess I, I'm, I'm now enabling Hitler, or I would have. but uh, So that's his argument. Because the German pastors didn't sign the Barman Declaration, they enabled Hitler. And so if you didn't sign the Manhattan Declaration, I guess you would have enabled Hitler as well. The insinuation is clear. If, if, if as a matter of conscience, pastors chose doctrinal integrity over political solidarity, well, you know Hitler. If pastors don't publicly endorse candidates on the right, well, Hitler. If pastors acknowledge nuance and political arguments, well, Hitler. This kind of lazy thinking and careless accusation, which may typify some conservative talk show host, falls short of biblical standards for godly speech. And oh, amen to that. Amen to that. I'm so tired of the political hijacking. I'm so tired of it. Uh, honor faithful pastro- pastoral ministry. This is number four in the next warning. Metaxas repeatedly shaming of pastors who are cowardly, timid, and afraid to speak the truth may be effective with insecure pastors. I agree there are cowardly pastors in America. I don't want to be one of them, but letter frequently makes unfair generalizations. And his chapter titled The Idol of, Evangel- of Evangelicalism, or no, The t- the Idol of Evangelicalism, evangelism, if I can read correctly. Metaxas contends that those are some who have fixed the idea that evangelism is, the, is most important and really the only thing worth doing. But this is a straw man. Why pastors truly believe this? Pastors are required to do the work of an evangelist and to equip believers, among other, among other things, evangelize. I don't know any pastor who complain that church members are so committed to evangelism that they make it an idol. I mean, yeah, that, that that's completely not fair. His argument is is that basically that evangelism has become an idol in the American church. That's what Metaxas claims, and so because we've made that, that in other words. An, I guess what he's upset about is that we're getting, we want Christians to evangelize, not political activism, and we should be involved in political activism. But because many won't turn to political activism because they believe evangelism is our call and not political activism, then I guess the the accusation is that we've made evangelism and a political idol. Well, I would strongly disagree with that. And you're right. I don't know any pastor would be like, man, the people in my church have made an idol out of evangelism. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Metaxas is concerned Christians are using evangelism as an excuse to avoid politics. I'm concerned Christians are using politics as, a, uh, uh, it goes on, let me read this again. Uh, Metaxas is concerned Christians are using evangelism as an excuse to avoid politics. The author says, I'm concerned Christians are using politics as an excuse to avoid evangelism. If many of today's evangelicals were as passionate about telling people about Jesus as they are telling people about how to vote, we might see a genuine cultural transforming revival. Amen to that. I think many Christians today are more worried about getting people to vote and more worried about supporting Trump than they are about Jesus Christ and the gospel, doctrine, salvation, church history. If a pastor faithfully preaches the word, wisely tackling tough issues from the horror of abortion to the intolerance or the incoherence of uh, transgenderism to the pitfalls of nationalism, but doesn't publicly engage in partisan politics, the way Metaxas calls for, does that pastor really lack courage? I don't believe he does. I don't believe he does. As chief counsel for President Richard Nixon, Charles Colson witnessed Nixon's master for skillful and manipulating leaders, including evangelicals, for political ends. He reflected, Ironically, none were more compliant than the religious leaders of all the people, that they should have been the most aware of the sinful nature of man and the least overwhelmed by pomp and protocol, but theological knowledge sometimes wilts in the face of worldly power. Wow, that's a good quote. Yes, of all people, they should have been most aware since our nation's inception, a common and effective strategy on both left and the right has been to praise and pressure American pastors into serving a partisan political agenda. Letter to the American Church is swept up in that strategy. In many evangelical churches, it will require great pastoral courage to say so. Pastors preach the word. Don't get played. That's the name of the article, Preach the Word and Don't Get Played, a review of the letter to the American church by Eric McTaxis. You can find this at the Gospel Coalition dot O-R-G. And the minute I say the gospel coalition dot O-R-G, someone's going to say they're liberal. They're liberal. They're, they're woke they're And okay. All right. Just, oh man, just stop with all your political rhetoric. And how about you do this? You just, uh, consider the fact that this book may be calling for a wisdom that's not biblical, but it's worldly. It's calling for political activism. It's calling for the church to turn to that. I don't know how many more books we need to get to try to get the church away from Bible doctrine, theology, prayer, meta- all all the biblical ideas and concepts way over here to politics. I don't know how many more we need. We've got to have those who stand against this tr- tide. We've got to have those who stand against this wave. We've got to we have to have those who stand against this movement. You may not like what's going on in the culture. I understand. You may be bothered by what's going on in the culture. I understand. You may think America is three seconds away from sliding into the pit of hell. I understand that. But what do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? And it seems it's always, we've got to get Trump elected. We got to get Paul. We got to get Republicans. We've got to get DeSantis. We got to get the, we got to, we got to, we got to get Republicans. We got to win the election. This is the most important election. If this election, well, we're going to lose the country for, I hear Christian radio talking that nonsense. I'm like, God is in charge. God is in control. I still believe in the sovereignty of God. The world doesn't need political policy. Let me make it very clear. Political policy has never changed the human heart. Political policy doesn't change depraved nature. We see this just in understanding a proper distinction between law and gospel. Let me, let me, let me, because what Christians want is to take God's law and have them make become the law of the land, thinking it's going to fix anything. I would just challenge you to pick up your Bible and just start in Genesis. God gives a law, don't eat of that tree. Even without a sinful nature, even without a sinful nature, they partake of the tree, boom, sin enters into the world. From that point on, God's like, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. He gives his law. Don't, 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 thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't don't, 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 don't. And remember Israel's foolish words? we will obey all of these laws. Yeah, for what, about five seconds? And the next thing you know, what are they doing? They're taking off their clothes, running around a golden calf. They're doing this. They're complaining. They're murmuring. They're grumbling. They won't believe God. They do this. They run around the desert. They die. They go into the promised land. They turn to idolatry. They turn to mixed marriages. And when I say mixed marriages, marrying with the pagans that they weren't supposed to marry, Uh, all of this kind of stuff, just sin, sin, rebellion, rebellion. And throughout all of it, what do you have showing up in the Bible? You got rape. You You got murder, you got adultery, you got deception, you got you got just so much, just evil, 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 evil. With all of God's law, Israel just sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned. The law did not change them. Even if the law was being placed, being enforced by God Himself, even if there was capital punishment, even if there was death, they kept sinning. Because it doesn't change the heart. It doesn't transform. You can pass every law you want on the books. Here's the thing. Let me state this again. I see this all the time. All right, Christians, mobilize, organize. Throw away your Bible. Throw away your systematic thought. Go full-blown political activism. You get everyone you think you want in office. Get them in office. Have the Supreme Court pass every rule you think you want it to pass, right? Ban this, ban that, boycott this, condemn this, shut this down, make it illegal. Do it. Do it. You don't change the hearts of the people. And you just try to enforce all of that? Full-blown rebellion will rise up in the hearts of people and they will say, we're going to cast off these chains. We're going to throw this off. And then you watch the world will fight against it. The world will be like, Oh no, 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 no. You pass these rules about abortion. We're going to fight against it. And what did you see? Look, look at our country in the midterms. The red wave was not a wave. Well, why Democrats were winning areas where I wonder why I wonder why because you, no matter what you want to say, in the hearts of many people, they don't want your Christianity. They don't want your rules. They don't want God's righteousness. They don't want any of that. Just if you're honest, you deep in your heart, you rebel against God's laws all the time. But you can try it. You don't change the heart. Whatever victory you obtain is temporary. It is temporary. And sooner or later, the world will rise up and say, that's not the world we want. And they will fight back. And because just think about it, Christian ideas are going to be in the minority. That's just the biblical, right? So sooner or later, the majority will finally put into place what they want, what they want. And if you tried to shove your way down their throat, and you try to force it upon them, then they're going to turn around and try to force their views on you and then punish you and pro- perse- persecute and prosecute you for your ideas. I don't want that. I want to be able to tell the world, you try whatever you want. The Bible calls that a sin, that a sin, that a sin, that a sin, that a sin. You are a sinner. You need Christ. Come to Christ. When you come to Christ, here's what how God tells you to live. we're going to either rely on biblical wisdom, practical wisdom, or worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom is the abandonment of a biblical understanding of the depravity of man, a complete abandonment of a correct understanding of law. Law doesn't change. Law law literally law condemns, law law reveals, but it provokes sin. It almost it right sin is almost fueled by the law. The minute you say thou shall not, sin says I will and I must. But we think law is the solution. We see, we've become a law-based Christianity. The evangelical world has become so law-based in its thinking that it thinks law is the solution to the world's problems when when Christians should be saying it's a gospel solution, not a law solution. You say, well, are you saying no law? Obviously, you have to have law to try to protect property, people's lives. I understand that. But again, you can pass laws on some of these things. If you don't change the hearts, it doesn't matter. So a letter, the name of the book, I got to close my iPad, is a letter to the American church. What we need, if anybody wants to read it or have a copy of it, I need you to go to pages. What I need you to do is go to pages. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, we need to go to page page 78, page 109, page 120, 121, and 123 to see if Eric Metaxas seems to be calling for or supporting the possibility of lying and violence. And if he is, then... Whatever else he says in the book that may be true, good, or right, the whole book would be called into question because, once again, it's demonstrating an abandonment of biblical wisdom for fleshly, worldly wisdom. All right. You can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. I'm going to find some food and then I will be back sometime later today and this evening so we can turn on the microphone, talk theology, Bible study, devotional thoughts, news commentary. Maybe we'll go to Proverbs chapter 4. I don't know. Who knows where we'll end up? We're going to work on Colossians 3 today. I don't know. We'll see. We'll just see where the day leads us. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. Again, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Theology Central Podcast.